Amen and amen. We find the strength to press on. That strength comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jim Frenchy, open us up, please, buddy, if you would. Thank you, brother. We'll be in Second Peter if you want to turn there. Uh, kind of a continuation, if you would, of last week's message. The title of the message is Working Out Your Salvation. Working Out Your Salvation. Second Peter 1, we will begin here in just a minute, starting in verse 5. Give you a second there to find it. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation. The old things are past. Behold, all things become new. When you and I accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, things changed. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that it took an old, stony, cold heart And when we gave that heart to Christ, he replaced it with a warm heart. He gave us a heart that loves the Lord and loves other people. He gave us a heart that hates evil and runs away from sin. He gave us a heart that desired to please him. He gave us a heart that says, I want to be obedient to my heavenly Father. It is impossible, it is impossible to have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and not have a change in your heart. It's impossible not to be changed from the inside out. You notice in verse 4 there of that first chapter of uh, Peter It talks about a divine nature that we all have as Christians. We have received a divine nature. And that divine nature that we received when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to teach us truth. It is to set us on the right path It is to convict us of our sins. The Holy Spirit's job is to change us, to transform us. In a biblical term, to sanctify us. Which means to be set apart from the rest of the world. You see, Christian friends, we are called to be different than the outside world. 
And we don't take pride in that, and that's not something we boast about. But if you have been truly saved, and you have been truly born again, and He has truly changed your heart, it is something that we accept humbly and long to be obedient to the Word. We long to read His Word and to know what His Word says because His words are true, His words are pure, His words are clean, His words are enduring. And as Christians, we need to be able to accept that. We need to be able to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, and then we need to move forward from there. And today's message, that's what the message today is going to be at. How do we move forward? How do we work out our salvation? How do we go forth from when we got saved, maybe years and years ago? How do we move past that and work out our salvation? Last week, we looked at a couple of things. We looked at the things that God has done for our salvation. And we talked about these things. I think he's got them on the board there. We talked about a faith that is the same faith for you and me and people all around this world. We talked about God's part of his salvation was he gave us his righteousness, that we would be right with God. When, when Christ took our sins on the cross, he gave us his righteousness. That is part of God's plan for his salvation for us. He gave us grace, did he not, that undeserved favor that we don't deserve, but he extended grace to us, and by grace we've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, I'll leave you peace, Christian friend. I'll give you peace that surpasses all understanding if you need it. I will give you everything that you need for life. I will give you everything that you need to live the Christian life, the godly life, the life that looks like Christ. I will supply everything you need. And then he says, I will give you that divine nature. I will give you that Holy Spirit that will empower you to be able to do that. That is what God has done. Seven things up there that God has done for every believer. That is his part, you might say, of our salvation. Today, I'll be speaking mainly to Christians today. Mainly Christians, those of you who have been born again. And we're going to see today, I hope we do, that there are seven things, seven virtues that Peter writes about that every Christian must have. Every Christian must have these seven. Not six, not three, not two, not one, but seven. You see, in the Bible, number seven is perfection. Whatever God does is perfect. And, he's gone, and Peter's writing to us, and he's talking about Christians and what we need to do and how we are to work out our salvation. So I want to just, we're just going to start in verse 5 there. We're going to read 5, 6, 7, and 8. He'll put them on the board there for you. But I want to get you, a, get you thinking about seven virtues that you and I should have as a Christian, beginning in verse 5. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence or adding on all diligence in your faith, supply, add on moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance or patience, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. All Christians 
should have these seven virtues in our lives. You see, so many times I am afraid that when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's all there is. That, that we've got our fire insurance now, so I can do what I want to. That is about as far from the truth as possible. Because you see, salvation is just the beginning of the journey. Sanctification, being set apart, is the end of the journey. And between salvation and sanctification and our time here on this earth, Christians, we are to be doing some things. And Peter is going to tell us we are to add on these seven virtues to our lives. And if we don't, we're, we're in trouble in a sense as a Christian. So I want to look at these seven and spend a few minutes on each one of these sevens. And my hope and my prayer is that every person in this room will either possess all of these sevens or be willing to add one of these or two of these to your life so that we can grow spiritually and grow more mature in our faith. The first thing that we can see almost from the get-go in verse 5, it says, applying or adding all of these seven with diligence. Diligence means the utmost importance. It means a priority. It means we as Christians are to run and to hustle and to not wait, but we are to add these seven things to our lives. It must be important as a Christian that we add these things. And the first thing we see there that we are to add is moral excellence. If we are serious about our Christian walk, if we really want to be all the person that God has called us to be, these seven must be a part of our lives. The first one there you see is moral excellence. Christian, we must be people of great character. We must have a strong morality. We must be people of integrity. We must be people that that live our lives in such a way that it is pleasing to the Lord. We choose a lifestyle because we are Christian that's different than the rest of the world. And we do it because we want our lives to honor our Lord and Savior. We must be a people of moral excellence, of high character. And if you stop and think about that, as a Christian, if we're not, what kind of message do we send to the outside world? Peter says the most important thing and the first thing on this list is to be morally excellent. Be people of great character. Be people that says when, you're, when you say something, your word is your word and your word is your bond. That you'll fulfill whatever you say. That's a person of great character. Is that you? The Bible says we are to diligently go after that. A diligently apply moral excellence to our lives. The second thing we read there where it says apply uh, moral excellence. And in your moral excellence it says apply knowledge. Christian friends, we are to seek after spiritual knowledge we are to speak uh, seek after what god says in his word 
Because when we seek after God's word and we seek knowing more about God and we seek more knowing about his son Jesus and what he did as he walked on this earth, we become stronger spiritually. And of course, you and I both know along the way as we are seeking God and learning more about God and as we get older and move through our years, we become more knowledgeable about just practical things in our life. Knowledge about what goes on in this old world and how we do it. And, and my prayer is once we have sought the Lord and know more about Him, when we gather practical knowledge, when we gather worldly knowledge, we'll be able to put God's wisdom with that practical knowledge. And we will know how to live our lives because we know what God's Word says. We know we ask for His wisdom. And when life throws stuff at us, we have got God's wisdom and God's knowledge. And Peter says, you need God's, God's wisdom and God's knowledge. It's knowing how to respond to life situations. It's knowing how to respond in a way that glorifies God. Where does this knowledge come from? A lot of places. First of all, it comes from God's word. It comes from God's word. As we read his word and we meditate on his word. That's why I want you to be in his word daily. To know what his word says. So that we can take it as we live our lives and ask for wisdom for what we know. And that we're able to navigate this old world. Like God wants us to navigate it. We get wisdom from reading his word. We get wisdom from studying his word. Bible study is a good way to gain knowledge, isn't it? Bible study is a good way. I mean, we've got Sunday school here. There's Bible studies out there. Man, just taking the time to go read and to study and to meditate on his, on his word. Believe it or not, you can, you can gain knowledge through listening to a good preacher, through a divine anointed preacher. When you come to church, you ought to be able to be fed from his word, not fed from his opinions or his thoughts, but you are being fed from his word. You gain knowledge from his word. I hope you do that today. We gain knowledge through prayer. We gain knowledge through prayer. Prayer is just not telling God. Yeah, God wants us to tell. He does. But prayer is also just listening to him. Being quiet as we bow our heads and seek him and allow him to speak to us. Prayer is not trying to change God's opinion about what you want. Prayer is changing your heart to know what he wants for you. And when we allow that to happen, we are gaining knowledge of him and his Savior, which makes us more mature. We gain knowledge through wise counsel. Seeking out somebody that knows something about God's word. Wise counsel is not Dr. Phil or Oprah. Wise counsel is somebody who knows the scriptures, who spends time in his word. Why would you go to somebody that's going to give you advice that's not biblical? Why would you go that some worldly advice? Yeah, it sounds good, but if it's not if it's not spiritual, if it's not biblical, it's not from God's word. I would just throw that in the trash and move on and find somebody that knows His word. You might not like what they tell you, 
but I'd get the wise at counsel. I told one lady one time, no, you can't be living with that guy. No, you can't be sleeping with that guy. It's not biblical. Christian is not biblical. Not supposed to do that. Haven't seen her back since. So if you come to me, I'm going to tell you what God's Word says. You might not like it. You might think I'm the dumbest person in the history of the world. But if I'm true to the gospel, that's wise counsel. Proverbs 15, 14 says it this way. The mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge. We seek knowledge. But the mouth of fools feeds on folly. Be a person who seeks knowledge, godly knowledge, and allow his wisdom to help you to apply it to live in this old world. Third thing we see here, as we move past knowledge, we see self-control. Self-control means to master or control your body, control your mind, control your tongue. This old world has a lot of issues out there. This old, body, this old world has a lot of lust out there. And as Christians, we are called to be strong, to be motivated to please the Lord. Because what you know and what I know is Satan will try to deceive you. Satan will try to bring you down. Satan will try to destroy your testimony. And if you're not strong, if you don't have self-control, he's going to do that. You see, Satan's got three arrows in his, in his quiver. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the only three arrows, that's the only three bullets he's got. That's two more bullets than Barney Fife and, and Andy Griffith show. And he'll shoot those three arrows at you. And he is, his mission is to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to ruin your reputation, Christian. He wants to ruin your testimony, Christian. He wants to get, make it so bad that you won't go, want to go to church, Christian. And we have to have this self-control that controls our body and our minds and the things that we say. So that we'll be pleasing to the Lord. If we have no self-control, what kind of message do we send to the outside world? Not a very good one. The Bible says we are called to have self-control. James 4, 7 says it this way. How do we gather this self-control when Satan throws his arrows at us? What does it say? Submit, therefore, to the Lord. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In that order, okay? You don't need this to resist him and then go, okay, God, yeah, by the way, God. Now, when he throws those errors at you, we have the self-control because we got God's word to stand on it. God, I'm going to draw near to you when I feel tempted. When I feel my self-control is getting weak, I'm going to draw near to you, Father. I'm going to resist what he's throwing at me because I know your word promises that he'll flee from me. Every Christian needs to be able to have self-control in order to bring a, a, a beautiful message to the outside world. Patience and perseverance. Patience and perseverance. It's, it is being steadfast, unmovable, means enduring. When life struggles hits, it's someone who faces those 
head on. When life throws you mud, (laughs) you face it head on, knowing, knowing that God is in control. Whatever life wants to throw it at you, you know without a shadow of a doubt that God is in control. That whatever issue you might have, it will not defeat you. And it will not break your faith. Because you have a foundation from the Lord. And because of that, you will persevere. You will keep moving on. And you know that whatever he throws at you, God's going to take and he's going to wrap it up into something beautiful eventually. Things come into our lives because it's for our good and for his glory. Patience and perseverance are one thing that we need. Romans 12, 12 says it this way. Rejoicing in hope, Christian. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Persevering in difficult times. James 1, 2 and 3 says it this way. Consider it all joy, my brethren, that is fellow Christian. Anytime you see the word brethren, that's fellow Christians. When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance is perseverance. Endurance is patience. We must be a people of patience so that we bring glory and honor in our lives. Do you have patience? Are you persevering through thick and thin the next one we see is godliness. We hit on this last week, godliness. Living life like Christ would live it. Loving like Christ loves. Living a life that is reverent in awe of the Lord. It's living a life that pursues God and the things of God. It's a living a life that is aware and conscious of God's presence in our lives daily. Living a life where we are conscious of God's presence in our lives. I mean, how many times do we, maybe we wake up in the morning and, and we say, God, uh, help me today. We get up and go about our business. And for the next 16 hours, we, we go about our business And we don't have a consciousness of God. We don't think about God. We don't ask Him. And then we go to bed and we go, Thank you, Lord, for a great day watching over me. Appreciate it. Good night. And yet, while we are awake, we never stop and think about this. We never stop and think about who He is. We never stop and think about He is in control of every situation in our life. We never stop and think that He sees and knows and is with us. Every step of the way. We want to solve all of our problems without even asking him to help solve our problems. Well, I got this issue at job at my job. I got to know what to do. Why don't you ask him? I mean, we don't have to, you don't have to just sit down and pray hours upon hours every day. Father, help me right now, whatever right now is. That's a consciousness of him in our lives. And you see, when we develop this consciousness of our lives, we are beginning to look a little bit like Christ. We are beginning to look like and and love like him and forgive like him and act like him and and react like him. That's a godliness that we need. It's a life of love. 
But also on the other side, it is a life free from condemnation. It's a life free from judgment as we live a godly life. It is a life free from the the chains and the bonds of sin. And it's a life that says, death, there is no sting anymore. Because we have you, Jesus. And we know what happens when we move from this old earth. You see, godliness is a virtue that we all must have. Because it brings us closer to God, but it also tells the outside world that you're one of you're one of his. And we hope someday that they will see the way you live and to see the way you speak. And they'll go, I, I want some of that, what you've got. I want what you've got. And at that point, you can testify why you got what you got. And that's Jesus. Sixth one there we see real quickly is brotherly kindness as we move on. Brotherly kindness, that's a filial kind of love. That's a love that we have for a brother or sister. That could be a love that we have for a brother and sister in Christ. The brethren, it would say. It's a love that holds people near and dear to their hearts. I'm sure you got people like that. Near and dear. It's, it's a love that says... I want to nurture you. I want to help you. I want the very best for you. That's, that's, that's that kind of brotherly love that he's talking about there. I want the very best for you. My, my prayer is that, that every person in this room right here wants the best for every person in this room right here. Because you see, that's what God's called us to do. To love the brethren. To keep each of us near and dear. And to nurture and want the best for each one of us it's a love that says I love you even if I don't know you how can that be it's a love that says I love you even though you live 15,000 miles away I can still love you why not how do you do that how do you love somebody that you've never met how do you love somebody that lives way over there Jimmy how do you love them Well, I can tell you, the love of a Christian comes from only one source, and that source is Jesus. That source is Jesus. How can I love somebody in Zimbabwe that I've never met? And the first time I meet them, there's a connection and there's a bond there. Where does that come from? It comes from our salvation through Jesus Christ. That's how you can love people that you don't know. That's how you can love people that sit on your pew. That's how you love people that sit on the other side of the church. Because we all have one thing in common, and that's Jesus. And that's the bond. That's the source of our love. I don't know about you. Have you ever just met somebody for the first time and just visited with him within seconds? In your mind, you go, they're a believer. I can just tell. I can just tell the, of their spirit. I can say how they, how they deliver themselves. I can say by the, see by the, the smile on her face. And you find out later on, yeah, they are. You see, that's, that's that one source. That's that bond that we have as Christians. And that's Jesus. We need to have that kind of love for, for other people. Did you know that? Brotherly kindness, brotherly love that holds the, the brethren together near and dear to our hearts. Through the bond of Christ. The last one, that virtue that we are called to have, 
is similar. Similar. It's love. But that love is a little different. That is agape love. And we've talked about agape love in the past, haven't we? That is God's love. That's how God loves. You see, God can love the unlovable. God loves the undeserving. He loves the unworthy. In Romans 5, he's got them up there, yeah. In Romans 5, 6, it says this about that, how much God loves. It says, uh, for while we were helpless, at the time, right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. He, he, he loved the ungodly. Which means if we have agape love, what, what is our responsibility? <laughs> to love the ungodly. Ooh. In verse 8, it says, God demonstrated his own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved the undeserving sinner. We're to love the undeserving sinner. Verse 10 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. God loved the en- his enemies, the ones that rejected him, want nothing to do with him. He still loved those folks. And you know what the beautiful thing about that is? That's who you and I used to be. And I'm so thankful that he loves the unlovable. He, he loves the undeserving. He loves the unworthy. He loves the enemies of him. Because believe it or not, that's you and me one in the past before Jesus. And if he loves like that, we are called as his followers to love like that. And where does that love come from? You can't muster it up, can you? That comes through the power of the Holy Spirit as that love flows through us. And we allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us. We can love the unlovable. Thank you, Jesus, for loving the unlovable. Real quick, we've got those seven virtues. Is that you? Do you have all seven of those? Don't answer that. Peter says, Christian friend, you, you, you have to have those seven. Why? Why? Why, Peter? Why do I have to have all of those? Verse 8, let's see what it says in verse 8. It says, for if these qualities of yours and are increasing, these things should be increasing in our lives daily. They render you neither useless or unfaithful or unfruitful, I guess. If you have these seven in your lives and you attach it with your salvation, he says you will not be useless or unfruitful for the kingdom. Nobody wants to be useless, do they? Nobody wants to feel useless. He says you attach these to your life, you will not be unfruitful. You see, when you attach these seven to your life and add them there... You're growing spiritually. And you're going to mature like God wants us to mature. You will have a deeper love for Jesus as we attach these. The Bible says he will give you an abundant life if we're obedient in this area. An abundant life now, an abundant life later on. We'll live a life, the Bible says, if we attach these with the greatest fruit of all fruits. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. We'll live a life filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and, and faithfulness and self-control. What a, what a positive thing when we add those, th- those seven virtues to our life. But 
there's more. It's not always all about us <laughs> when, we, when we're working with the Lord. You see, when we add those seven to our salvation, we are sending a clear message to the outside world that God loves you, Jesus died for you. And you can have the same kind of thing, the same kind of fruit that I have. It's, it's telling the outside world there's a different way to live. There's a better way to live. And that is following after Christ. And, and Peter says, take these seven so that you will be useful in your life for the kingdom. That you'll be fruitful for the kingdom in your life. It's important that we do. It's important that we diligently increase each one of those in our lives. The second reason why we need to have those is verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities, those seven, it says, are blind or short-sighted. We're blind or short-sighted if we don't have these. The enemy is out to destroy, like I told you. He wants to steal the gospel from you. He wants to keep you where you don't see the gospel like it's supposed to be seen. He wants to destroy your life. But the beautiful thing about this, he says you won't be short-sighted. If you and I were to walk out these doors and, and talk to anybody out, out there that's not in our church or not in any church, and you ask them about eternity, ask him about heaven those kinds of things. They will go, well, I'm not really worried about that. That's, that's out in the future. That's so long away from me. I'm just still a young person. That doesn't affect me. And all folks can see is today. All you can see today and you can't see eternity, which is going to be a long way. And you become short-sighted. And he says, add these seven here to your life so you're not short-sighted. So you, so you can keep your eyes on the Lord. You can keep your eyes on eternity and not just live for today. We live for today and today can be a mess. But if we live for there, today's mess doesn't seem quite as bad because we're serving the Lord and Savior. Don't be short-sighted. Don't be blind. And you won't be when you keep these seven in your life. The second part of that verse, real quickly. Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. You don't have these seven in your life. He's saying you'll one day to forget the price that Jesus paid on the cross. You'll move away from that if you don't have these in your life. You'll forget what, what Jesus did on the cross for you. You'll, you. When temptation and trials come into your life, they will overcome you because you have walked away from the Lord. You'll begin living like the world lives. You'll be living like your ungodly friends live because you have kind of forgotten what Christ did for you. The Bible calls that maybe you become backslidden where the things of God no longer mean anything to you. Have you ever got to that point in your life? Christian, you think you've been saved and yet, and yet you, you don't care about the things of God. 
And when you don't do what God's word tells you to do, we don't have self-control and godliness and love, those kind of things. Said it's so easy to slip away from the Lord and what he wants for you. You see, it's important that we stay hooked up with the Lord so that we don't forget what God and Jesus have done for us. Verse 10, real quick. It says, Therefore, brethren, be all more diligent to make, there it is again, certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Christian, when you add these things into your life, it says you'll never stumble. You'll have victory in your family. You'll have victory at work. You'll have victory in your relationships. You'll have victory uh, when you come to church. You'll have victory in witnessing. you have victory in, in your worship. You can have victory whatever is going on in your life. Because when you add these things, it says you will never stumble. These seven keeps our hearts and our minds focused on Christ. Focused on Christ. These seven give us motivation to live the Christian life. To live a life in obedience and submission to the Lord. This brings us closer to Him in every walk of our life. We have these seven in our lives that reflects that we've been changed when we got saved. Man, that's what it's all about, isn't it? To reflect this change that God is important to us, that He is our priority, that we love God and love Christ even more. We put these seven into our lives. It's allowing God to mold us and shape us into the person that He's called us to be. I mean, salvation, yeah. Sanctification, yeah. And through that, what it, he wants us to be changed. He wants us to be molded and shaped into a person that looks like Christ. So he says, Christian, you must have moral excellence. You must have self-control. You must have perseverance. You must have godliness. You must love the brethren and you must love like God, goppy kind of love. And then the best part of this whole message, not that it's getting done finishing, is verse 11. Verse 11. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. One day, the Bible says, we'll be richly and abundantly rewarded. And we'll be gloriously welcomed into heaven. I don't know, but that's a, that's a positive. When we take these seven and we put it with our salvation, we'll be richly and abundantly blessed and rewarded. That's pretty good encouragement right there. And they'll open the doors to heaven when we step through there. Gloriously welcome. Job well done, my friend. We'll spend eternity with him. We can choose not to put these seven into our lives. But we won't be nearly richly blessed as if we do. Peter says, here are seven that I want you to have. Attach them with your salvation. 
It doesn't, this doesn't decide if you've been saved or not. So I'm talking to Christians. You have been saved. Add these diligently to your life. Tricia? So what are we going to do about those seven? <laughs> as, you, as you think about your own life, do you have those seven? Are you morally excellent in the way you live in your relationships? Self-control, you live a godly life. Do you persevere through things? Are you patient with things? Do you love the brethren? Do you love the people in this church? Do you live do you love the unlovable? As we bow our heads and close our eyes, that's the message. That's all I got. Do business with the Lord, if you would, please. If he's spoken to you in any way, talk to the Lord about that. This is your time. This is your reminder. Ask him to help you with those seven. As you pray, do business with the Lord.